Joshua 23. <clears throat> we started last week the uh, last three chapters, uh, last, the last section of Joshua. <clears throat> uh, looking at this little outline that uh, Dale Ralph Davis had put together for the book, where the first few chapters are about gaining liberty and then, uh, uh, or gaining uh, the land, entering the land, taking the land, possessing the land. And now Joshua's concern is uh, retaining the land and completing the conquest that is not, they haven't taken all of the land yet. Last week we looked at the blessing sending home, sending across the Jordan the eastern people. And in 22, he calls them together and sends them back across the river to the eastern land now that the conquest is, there's rest for the people of Israel. In 23 and in 24, he calls the whole of Israel together uh, to, again, encourage them <coughs> to... Uh, maintain the faithfulness, to see the faithfulness of God, maintain their faithfulness to God, uh, and, and to continue in the Word of God. It's uh, one of, I remember we were uh, driving home, I think we were, it was one night, and we were near Louisville somewhere. It was cold and pouring rain. Never drive about three hours in the absolute pouring rain, and it's just, I mean, it's so, for me anyway, it is so exhausting, and, and shoulder and neck and everything just kind of tenses up, and you just cannot wait to get relief, for it to quit raining, um, so we can relax. Well... Joshua is concerned in chapter 23. That's sort of what he's, he's, you know, it's one thing to gain the conquest, and it took them maybe up to five years. There's really very little uh, timing there to know how long it took. But now his concern is now that they have the conquest, and there in chapter 23, verse 1, a long time afterward when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, his concern, uh, the author's concern, is uh, not just to maintain the vigor, maintain the enthusiasm and the, the zeal, uh, not only to complete the conquest, but then also to preserve the results of taking in, going into the promised land and taking it. Um, I mentioned last week a book I read. It was during the pandemic, shortly after my heart surgery, and I was uh, walking and running quite a bit, and I listened to this book by Oz Guinness called The Free People's Su Suicide. He was talking about freedom, uh, securing freedom, uh, ordering it with the, the government that we have, and then how are we going to sustain it? And it was... It was written in 2012. You get your kind of bearings there. It was 
seven years before the pandemic began. And remember the chaos in all the cities across our nation. I mean, anarchy almost in so many places. Well, in 2012, he wrote and said the way we were headed, that's exactly what was going to happen. And so I was listening to this book, and he was almost being prophetic in uh, what he was saying. And uh, last week, again, I mentioned he was, he's talking about freedom in our country, or at least freedom in a society. And he had this triangle of freedom requires virtue, and virtue requires faith. And, but faith requires freedom, and he called it the golden uh, triangle. And just uh, I, I talk a little bit about this. I hope I don't offend anybody. We'll get a little bit political, but not really political as much as cultural. Uh, what virtue? Here's how he defined virtue. And stop me anytime you want to talk and add to this. Non-coerced, essential integrity of character. That's a virtue. We're not forced to behave in a particular way. It's an essence of who we are, our integrity as, as people. And so that's how he defines it. And he says that the, whole, the founders hope this character, this non-coerced integrity of character of the people of, of our country alongside with constitutional checks and balances would help to avoid errors of what he called classical republicanism. Now, we're not talking Democrat and Republic, but Republican, we're talking about a republic. There have been republics before us. Uh, but he said classical republicanism relied on virtue only. They would establish a government, uh, not a dictatorship, but a republican government where they, you know, the Roman Empire, the uh, Roman Republic that originally had senators and, and, and governed themselves as a republic, but uh, they, they needed virtue and character, but it was only virtue and character. There was no foundational faith. To go with it. Uh, so the, the framers of our constitution hoped that this essential character plus uh, 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 freedom would require this essential character. That would require faith. We were so we have the Judeo-Christian foundation of our government. Uh, And so that would require freedom, and that's his circle. Freedom, he calls, uh, from the negative side, it's an absence of forced restraint. But on the positive side, it's pursuing personal and civic excellence. So there's this assumption or this dependence upon the integrity of the people pursuing a life of good citizenship. And they're assuming with a constitution based upon the foundational principles of religion, Jewish and Christian religion, that will keep going. 
And um, yeah, faith was the Judeo-Christian virtues uh, or the values. Everyone's in the image of God, uh, sort of a a evangelical worldview as the basis, sort of. So what's happened? We won freedom, right? We won the war. And we established freedom, but the sustaining of it has been, is getting harder and harder. And then he lists some errors that threaten our liberty. And so this is what we've all experienced. Even, well, we've all experienced. I got a list of 12 of them. And we can talk about it or we can not. And you might be bored, but I'm going to talk through these 12 points. <laughs> and if you want to, we'll get to back to Joshua before we're done. I think. Here's the first error that is threatening our liberty, he said. An exaltation of constitutionalism alongside the denigration or the degrading of personal moral integrity. So we raise the law and the virtue is going down. Uh, So the relegation of virtue becomes, it's your private, you, you be as, your character is for you privately and yet uh, the morality, so the morality is irrelevant for politicians, for functioning in our government, for legal issues. That's what he says. That's one of the issues, uh, the errors that are threaten- that's threatening our uh, society. No comments? Secularization, yes, sir. Did he do research on past history, on the failures? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a, he's a think tank guy. He's a Christian who grew up in China. Uh, his family were Chinese missionaries. It's, he was the only one who survived, the I think, the potato famine. Does that sound right? It, in China, uh, I'm not sure. His brother died. His parents died of, of old age in China. And then he's a social critic. I don't know exactly what. He, He's a Christian, not, probably not the flavor of Christian we are, uh, but yeah, yeah, he did all kinds of research. A second, he said, secularization of the American law. Our legal system has become secular, uh, taking away the Judeo-Christian uh, foundation. Third, abortion on demand threatening our liberty, a lapse of the founder's insistence on separation of powers. Every president seems to have more executive orders, doesn't he? He's not supposed to be able to do that. Uh, here's Here's a fifth one. A moneyed aristocracy replacing a virtued aristocracy. So the muckety-mucks of society are the billionaires and not the uh, 
people of integrity. Not saying that all of them are not people of integrity, but the aristocracy of our nation is moneyed people rather than virtuous people. And they're saying from the beginning, you got to have the virtue or it's not going to, our, our liberty is going to be threatened. Postmodern denial of truth, the relativism that we live in. There's, you know, we, we have uh, 50 different truths here. It's true. What's true to you is not true to me. Um, failure of the public schools to teach character and to assimilate immigrants to American values. The unintended, he called it the unintentional, unintended consequences of multiculturalism. What's multiculturalism? What's that? A blending. A blending of cultures, where that's what we were, what we've always been, right? You bring, people come in, and we're a melting pot. That's what how we were, and and so that's good multiculturalism because everyone became American citizens. They learned the American way. They passed American tests test to be Americans, and you could be whatever culture you came from, but you, we had the American culture. You could be any ethnic group, you could be anything, but you, you conform to American culture. Well, the American multiculturalism evolved uh, probably in the 90s into you don't have to become American. And you're accepted in, as an American. And so instead of creating a unified people, we now have pockets, ethnic pockets throughout our city. And they've separated because they have not had to integrate into American culture. It's not just us. I mean, we're the most diverse cult, uh, uh, ethnic city in the country, I think, now. Uh, but so you have pockets, and you go to different areas of, of towns and cities, and, and, and people are isolated and, and not unifying. What, what do we say? Uh, I don't carry change anymore. Nobody wants change. What we got, e pluribus unum. What does that mean, Latin folks? Out of the many one... But we're kind of e pluribus pluribus. I mean, you know, out of the many, there's still many anymore, you know. Uh, anyway, that's, that's him. Uh, it's supposed to foster in inclusivity, but it has not done that. Uh, and here he called a uh, definition of freedom simply as an ever-expanding choice. Freedom is I'm free to do, choose to do all these things. Uh, and uh, no, I'm not going to read. I got a little. No, that's a nine critically unexamined foundations of secular humanism. Human, secular humanism is new to us as a country, somewhat. You know, a hundred years or however long it's been. Maybe since the Enlightenment, maybe a little more. But failing to buy, buy into it without failing to uh, 
examine what that will do over time. Uh, two of them that are interesting, international actions that pay no attention to how others view U.S. power. Intervention or actions internationally without, with little concern about what other people think about us as encroachment. Now, now we will defend that by saying we're the only superpower left, and who's going to do it if we don't? He says that's, that's part of our problem, is just going everywhere, you know, being the, uh, what, the uh, judge of the world or something. He, then, then he says international actions that violate principles of American freedom. He says that we have done things internationally that violate our principles of freedom here. This is Os Guinness. This is his opinion. This is, you know, he's a social critic and he's got his ideas and this may not be what we think, what you think, what I think. I just, it, it just, as he talked about the consequences of these, they played themselves out for a couple of three years on the streets of our, country, uh, our cities. Are these in sequential order? Or these no, no. They're just listed. I'm just listing them. The last one, an overstretched military in Afghanistan and Iraq, he said. You know, again, he, he has, he's got a political viewpoint, but he's, uh, he's pretty good at, at kind of evaluating and seeing consequences and unintended consequences and uh, things where we're, what's going on among us with the bigger picture. Uh, Uh-huh. Did you notice that 10 of those items all have the same root in terms of a lack of virtue? A lack of what virtue? A lack of virtue. Yeah. I mean, 10 of them all had that. I, I don't know that the last two, I'd have to think about it more. I'm not sure the last two are virtue related at the core, but all the rest of them were all a lack of virtue. And the other thing I caught that I've never considered this early on, if you have the virtue, if your society has the virtue, you don't need the Constitution. You know, it's part of the triangle, but that's really hard in a fallen world. But if you had that one leg, then you don't need the laws. And if we were righteous, you don't need the law. If we were righteous, you wouldn't need the Constitution because everyone would do what it is. Right, we're not righteous. Yeah. We will be in heaven. We won't need all this stuff in heaven, right? Yeah, that's, um, uh, you know, the virtue goes away soon. Moral integrity falls off. Judeo-Christian principles are kind of gutted. Uh, secularization of the law. It just... Of course, it's going to erode. That's just his ideas. Well, Israel now has to, Israel has won the land. How are they going to maintain the land? How are they going to keep it? And again, we know by reading forward, they don't. 
But how is it that Joshua lays out for them to do that? And he, that's what chapter 23 and 24 is his real concern. This is the second, like I say, he, in chapter 23, verse 6 in chapter 23. Be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it, neither to the right hand or to the left. Uh, verse 8. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Verse 11, be very careful, Lord, therefore, to love the Lord our God. So he, he, he emphasizes remaining faithful to God. Uh, and then it's to, to maintain the land. Verse 13. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap to you, a whip to your side, and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off the good ground that the Lord your God has given you if you don't follow the Lord. Verse 13, so he's concerned now about keeping how you're going to maintain and keep uh, the land. Uh, verse 15, just as... All the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been filled for you, so the Lord will bring you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant. In 16, he talks about losing the land also. So he's saying, follow the Lord faithfully or you will lose what you have gained, what you have one, what he has actually given you. So, uh, let's go back up to verse, the first three verses together, and we'll read. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all of Israel, its elders and its heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. What he's doing here is he's laying the responsibility on this next generation to maintain the land, maintain the faithfulness to God so that they might maintain the land that God has given them and that they have uh, fought for. Uh, I'm old. I'm well advanced in years. Uh, death is knocking uh, at my door. And Joshua is doing all he can to maintain worship, worship of the one true God, uh, make, to make sure it continues after he's gone. Made me think of Hebrews 11, uh, uh, Abel, though he's dead, he still speaks. Uh, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Joshua is trying to make sure that's true of him. Not, not so people will remember Joshua, but so they will remember their God. He says, you've seen all the Lord has done. 
those who are going to be gone, or those who are going to be coming, will not have seen all that you've seen. So you have to be the leading examples, uh, he says to them. Uh, They saw it. Uh, But uh, chapter 24, verse 31 Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. So these are going to outlive Joshua. Joshua's going to die. They're going to outlive him. They've seen it, but then their children have not. So they're going to have to pass down these promises (coughs) and be examples of the faithfulness. They have to carry the responsibility to drive the stake of this spiritual faithfulness into the hearts of the next generation. Encourage them to complete the conquest. Remember, all the, all the land has not been taken yet, and then not to allow any of the truth to be diluted. Uh, if we peek ahead in Je- Judges chapter 2, a couple of pages ahead, In verse 7, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And then verse 10, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So it didn't take very long for a generation to be raised that didn't know the work of the Lord and began, and we see what happened in the book of Judges. So the question comes up now, uh, did this generation fail to follow through with what Joshua taught them? And I would say, not necessarily, uh, again, that verse we just read in 2431, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. So it looks like that these, that Joshua charges here in chapter 23, it looks like for their generation, they fulfilled what Joshua charged them to do. Um, So, uh, a faithless generation can rise out of a faithful one. You know, you, you think about the Proverbs about training up a child in the way he should go, and when he gets old, he won't depart. Does that mean that every child that wanders off from the faith, the parents have failed to teach them the word of God? No, that's a proverbial, that's a proverb. That's not a, a, a promise. That's a statement of observation of the world. And usually when people are raised in a Christian home, they'll continue in the faith. Sometimes they don't. And so here... This next generation, after the generation that did continue to walk with the Lord, did not follow the Lord. They did what was right in their own eyes. 
So uh, if it's vital to, for us, we'll, we'll use, to pass it on to our children um, about God's saving power, about his fearful judgment, uh, whether they hear it or not, it's vital for us to pass the story down. If we don't pass it down, there's a guarantee they won't follow it, right? But there's no guarantee that the next generation will follow the Lord just because a particular generation does. And that seems to be what happens here in Joshua as we go on into Judges. But the second generation after the generation after Joshua seems to have led the people to follow the Lord. Um, back to 23, verse 3, where he says, You have seen all that the Lord your God has done. So the Lord has been faithful, having seen all that he has done. Verse 4, Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with the nations I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. So uh, the remaining tribes are yours also. But you need to take them. You need to secure those lands. Verse 5, the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. How far? From the river to the sea. Very contemporary phrase, isn't it? But God has given the Israelites the land from the river to the sea. They haven't taken it all. In fact, they never take the Philistines who are on the edge there of the sea, between the mountains and the sea. But... Um, he has given them to them. Although he'd given them rest, verse 1, there's still more work to do. And in, in Exodus, God says, I will not drive, out, drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. So God has told them through Moses that this is going to be a slow process. Uh, but he says, and, and he keeps his promise here, and he says, I'll drive them out if you stay faithful. So Joshua's point is they can expect God to help them. His recent help, uh, they saw it at Jericho, they saw it at Ai, even after the defeat, they he, 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 they conquered AI, all of these cities that they took in the conquest, uh, so they should be able to trust him for the remainder that they have to take, or that they have to take. Uh, and his past promises there in verse 5, the Lord will push them back and drive them out of, before you out of your sight, you shall possess the land, just as the Lord your God promised you. So they have his past actions and his past words, his promises and his work, his doings. Uh, and so they can continue, they should continue to faithfully expect God 
to be with them, uh, to continue his work with them. And now from the rest of it focuses upon their obedience to the Lord rather than he's been focusing a bit on God's faithfulness to them. Now verse 6. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it, neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts a flight, puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of, the, of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you but they shall be a snare and a trap for you a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you so Joshua demands of these leaders and what he demands of these leaders, remember, he's just gathered the leaders. Well, he expects that of all of the Israelite people. And the standard of obedience is the word of God in verse 6. It's, verse 6, of course, is the book of the law. Uh, but it, it, for us, it's the entire word of God. Uh, no social fellowship with these nations he doesn't have a higher standard for the leaders. Everyone owes obedience to the word. Uh, and then in 7 and 8, that you may not mix with these nations, he calls them to a principle of separation. Uh, no social fellowship. Is that not, is that not how we're to relate to unbelievers, to non-Christians? Um, we have friends who are non-Christians, but we shouldn't have close friendships except for the purpose of, of, of sharing the gospel with them. Um, do not be unequally yoked. Uh, come out from among, go out from their midst and be separate from them. We're called not to, uh, we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And, and they're called here not to mix with these. In verse 7, don't mix with these nations. Don't make mention of their gods or swear by them. Cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Jesus prays for us, right? This morning, uh, John MacArthur, he made a big difference between friendship mm -hmm. and fellowship. Mm -hmm. The 
fellowship is with the church. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can't have fellowship. We don't have fellowship with those who don't have the spirit. Right? Good. Therefore, go. Uh, no, John 17, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, truth, your word is truth, as you sent me into the world, uh, so I've sent them into the world. So we're sent into the world, but we're not to be of the world, not to be conformed. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be shaped and molded into this world. That's, you know, part of the, I don't hear as much talk about it, uh, contextualization. You know, if we want to reach the world, we need to sort of identify with them almost externally. Look like the world, be like the world. I mean, you know, not so much be like the world in, in, in behavior, but we, we, they need, we need to be able to identify with them. Uh, but Jesus says, look, you're to be in the world, but not of the world. Be different. Come out from among them. Be, be separate. Not just to be different. Not for difference's sake, but to uphold the gospel. You're representing Christ if you claim to be a Christian. So the standard of obedience is the word of God. The specific call is a separated life, not taken out of the world, but protected from the evil one by God. Um, we'll, we have to stop there. Uh, do you find that sometimes separating is hard? Living separate lives among the lost. Is it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're usually one of two, we're, we're prone to one of two things. We're either prone to laxity, to where we just kind of apathetic kind of a, to the world, or very legalistic, and we want the world to behave like we want them to behave. And so it gets very hard sometimes to live a separate life, to, be, to live in the world but not of the world. It gets messy sometimes and confusing and hard to know what to do and how to do it. Uh, but anyway, that's what part of Joshua's concern. We'll look at his motives for obedience that he'll have, that he'll lay out, and then we'll close with a very... Uh, Joshua did not go to his prophet school and learn to preach a sermon by ending the way he ends this sermon. With judgment. Uh, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that uh, we are able to read about what you did in these cities.
what you did with this people, that we might see your magnificent glory, your power, your uh, omniscience, and your compassion. And then we know your promises from your word. And we know that from the cross, many of those promises have been fulfilled. Yes, some are yet to be fulfilled. But we know that you're faithful to your promises. I pray you would help us, Lord, to be motivated to live according to your word, by your grace. And Father, with judgment, knowing judgment is in our future, we will seek and pursue holiness that you might be glorified. Father, that the world might see not follow us examples, but the Lord, the world might see the power, the transforming power of the gospel through us. And may we direct their eyes to Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.